0: Welcome back to Office Politics. I am your host, Jasmine Reed Clark, and this is the space where we talk about life after the offer letter. Today, I have on arguably my most important special host. We have the man behind the curtain, Jordan David Clark.
1: (laughs) I don't want to brag, but I probably am the most important. And the most special guest,
0: uh, definitely. I mean, without you, this no one could hear my my important ramblings to the world. <laughs> Honestly, you feed my narcissism, so <laughs> very much. We have you on today because, well, actually, for a multitude of reasons. But um, we recently, or I recently, redecorated our home for what the hundredth time. Give yeah. Us, like? yeah. Give or take. And in it, we found a a key to an old office drawer, um, like a a drawer I had at one of my old – actually at two of my last jobs. And we found that notebook that I would (laughs) have when I was sad or mad or like anything other than thriving, which was often at my two employers. And I would jot down my – my golden nuggets um, to keep from, you know, sending a passive aggressive email or just like rage quitting. And it was fun to kind of go through that. And then we thought, oh, this would make for a great episode. So there are a few different pages we're going to go through. You have them Mm -hmm. dog-eared. And (laughs) we're just going to talk through them. But before we get to that, um, in addition to being the most important guest, um, the legend, the machine, my husband, who are you, Jordan?
1: <laughs> I just wanted to set the record straight. I am not a machine, and uh, anyone aren't we who all says machines, otherwise,
0: Jordan, aren't we all <laughs> robots at this point?
1: <laughs> I'm also the host, uh, co-host, and producer of a soon-to-be-released podcast called "We Built It That Way" with my friend and former coworker AJ Falver. I work in urban planning. I uh, ride my bike to work some days. And I am a kind of annoying person to go on a walk with,
0: because <laughs> he'll explain why we dot 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 built it that way. Now let's get let's dive into this notebook, sir. What were I'll some of the gems it. I got left?
1: it right here? Can you hear me? <laughs> Is this good radio right here? ASMR. <laughs>
0: yes.
1: You want to hear the the pages? Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, I've got ten things I want to cover with okay. you. Nice. And I'm just going to, I think the way we agreed to do this was I'll give you the prompts and you can tell me what you were thinking, what you were thinking behind that. <laughs> okay. And I think <laughs> you mentioned that this was in that white filing cabinet that was locked for like over a year. And then <laughs> yeah. recently I found that it was unlocked. So I was like, oh, cool. That unlocks. Yes. All right. So let's unlock these golden nuggets of wisdom.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's put in that's some dreamy it. background music. Yeah, that's that's the job.
1: <laughs> okay. Number one, don't waste your words on people who don't want to hear the truth.
0: (laughs) Candidly, this could have been about a lot of things, but the thing that really, really comes to mind is, do you remember when I was first launching the DEI program at a tech startup? We're going to leave guilty and innocent. We'll be left nameless. (laughs) Just look
1: at our LinkedIn. You can figure it out.
0: (laughs) So... And I remember having to explain why a certain DNI program was important, and that one person he just didn't care. And remember on the airplane, I was like, "I get it now. I am over here busting my ass trying to convince someone why equity and a work- boss of yours? Yeah. Well, it was uh-huh. like a like
1: an important? adjacent.
0: Yeah. Okay. A leader I had to work a stakeholder." And I kept losing my mind. And do you remember, like, I joked in therapy, I've lost, like, I I projected all of my daddy issues onto that person. (laughs) Just being like, I just want you to say you're proud of me. But in this case, I just wanted him to be less racist, I guess, and just care more about black people and Mm -hmm. equity at work. Mm -hmm. And it took me... I think just losing a lot of sleep and a lot of tears and realizing that you cannot change everyone's mind. And maybe this happens in your industry Mm -hmm. too with sustainability. It's like you may never get to, to the heart of (laughs) certain developers, Mm -hmm. but then you have to realize you're not necessarily building it for them. And I know that's what I had to get to was I'm putting together an ERG because I believe, Maybe person A over here doesn't get it, but person B, C, D, E, F, G need it, get it, and we're gonna. There's gonna be power in numbers, and yeah. realizing like you can't make everyone happy, but also you can't make everyone see your point, even mm-hmm. when it's painfully obvious.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's something to be said for uh, trying to plant in more fertile soil, right? Because like, not everybody's gonna see the the beauty. In the changes that you're hoping for.
0: Exactly. So, you know, keep, I, so I think the lesson really here is that train, you got to chug along, choo, choo, beep, beep, and realize that if people don't want to get on your train, leave them on the tracks.
1: Yeah. Also at a certain point, it's like survival for you to Like you got to preserve your energy for, you know, the long road ahead. If it, if it's something that's really important to you yeah word you also said something that was interesting about projecting like daddy issues onto somebody and Mm -hmm. i think that it's probably like a good future episode just about like (laughs) we all bring the issues that that we obtained through growing up in childhood to work and the more like the sooner we realize that and then work on that we could probably all have healthier experiences at work
0: boom what is the next golden nugget i dropped in that notebook
1: you are probably smarter than most people at the top.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean-
1: <laughs> Was that you talking to yourself or just
0: <laughs> Yes. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> Cuz I agree with that.
0: Um, but okay, it's kind of like you're, you know when you're young and you have to have that realization that your parents aren't superhuman and they're not superman and they're they have they they make mistakes just like you. Yeah. I think I had to go through that with executives in the C suite. I thought they must be geniuses, and I'm sure some of them are, or some of them are incredibly gifted and talented within certain specializations. However, they're usually not the smartest person in the room. They might be the savviest person in the room, but once I was finally joining, albeit being a fly on the wall at times, but once I was joining that seat at the table, or I guess like really – Being a kid under the seat at the table, I realized, like, I'm just as smart as these people. I'm just as hardworking. It's that Mm -hmm. whole thing. Like, Jeff Bezos doesn't work a gazillion times harder than anyone. But even to, like, I think scale it down and make it a more relatable example, the boss you have is likely just as intelligent as you are. Maybe they just have more experience or they have better people skills or they know how to... Um, see an opportunity and seize it or see an opportunity and exploit it, you know, depends on which company leader we're talking about. But that was a big lesson for me to learn. I'm not the dumbest person in the room just because I don't have a chief title.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of times the people in the room have ladder climbing skills. Yeah, first and foremost, and that might not necessarily mean that they're the smartest or um, the most prepared And I also don't know that it always matters if you're like super smart. There's different ways of being smart or or intelligent. Mm -hmm. And also sometimes they they were just like in the right place at the right time. Like they got there early enough Mm -hmm. and they're just like, there was like three people when it started and now there's like 300 and they're just like still at the top whether they belong there or not. So
0: yeah, that's funny. Without saying names or giving too many details, there is someone at a former employer and we would joke, if they left that company today, they would be in for a rude awakening because yeah. they go into meetings and it's almost their shtick to be a brat and like f- like throw things. And it's like, I mean, that's cool. And you probably saw that in like. Some movie with Mark, somebody portraying Mark Zuckerberg or something, but that's not real life. And please don't do that at your next employer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Number three, don't risk business and pleasure with friends you want to keep.
0: Yeah, this one is delicate. I was in a situation that, you know, there, you know, a lot of the details around, but essentially I had to become a friend's spouse's boss and I'm not here to really divulge the details of that particular situation, but I can say I walked away from it vowing. I would never almost never, I should say almost never work with a loved one again, or at least not in a, not in a space where there has to be a power dynamic, because even like with you, remember when we were thinking about maybe working more closely together, mm-hmm. we wrote out, okay, okay, I would own this much of the company and then you would own this, but you would specifically own this department and you would get the last say. Um, But I think with that particular thing, I lost a friendship and that really sucked. And there's really no, it's so hard to define to define relationships and really put, I think, hard boundaries, especially with someone like me. I, I like struggle with boundary setting in general and I know people do it like Jack's wife, Kim, who's been on the podcast. Her and Miriam have their own fashion line and they seem to do it really well. So it's not to say it can't be done. I just Mm -hmm. don't think that's for me. And I think that I already lead with heart empathy and I'm more likely to be taken advantage of or more likely to put like, like assume a lot more accountability and responsibility. So I don't think it's healthy for me to work with friends.
1: That's a really good point. I guess, keeping in mind that uh, these are written to you and then for the listener, I guess, to determine how much of you they see in themselves because like, yeah, I think the takeaway is like not necessarily that it's a bad idea to work with your friends or people who you're already close to, but like really have an understanding of how of like your own personality And the sensitivities that you might be bringing into it, and then like also how how well you know and like interact with that friend—is it somebody you've like worked on a lot of school projects before (laughs) with, and you know you? Because I can think of people from like grad school that I would actually work really well with, and I can think of people from grad school who I would probably not work well with, (laughs) you know.
0: And I also think you have to be honest about the friend or loved one that you're trying to work with. That particular situation I was in, when I look back Mm -hmm. in retrospect, there were red flags just about communication style. And I maybe saw some of the writing on the wall and I went into it blindly optimistic or almost just like, you know, I don't think this because I even said to you, I was like, I don't think this is a great idea, but Mm -hmm. I have to do this. And Mm -hmm. I would if I could do everything all over again. I'm grateful for the lesson, but I would say to someone, I don't think that dynamic is going to be healthy for our friendship. And to Mm -hmm. me, that's more important. But let me see if I can help get this person a job elsewhere.
1: So can I put you on the spot really quick? And additionally to the ways that I'm already putting you on the spot? Yes. I don't have that like list with me. But when you talked about establishing boundaries about if we were going to work together, Mm -hmm. do you want to talk about maybe what a couple of those were if you and I were to be like fully or partly working on some projects together?
0: Yeah. I don't like have the list in front of me either, but I remember you would have owned a lot of the creative direction. So it would be at the, like, I would treat you like the CMO. And Mm -hmm. so just like with a CEO and a CMO, it could say like, Hey, these are our directives for the next quarter. And while, Yeah, I mean, I guess as a CEO, I could trump you, but more so what I would do is just if you're like, no, I'm really passionate that we have to use mustard yellow instead of Mm -hmm. eggshell yellow. It'd be like, okay, like you are the CMO. That's ultimately your decision. And and that's what we would have to establish up front. I remember that Mm -hmm. being a big one of Jordan gets to own communications, marketing, Mm -hmm. graphics, and I would get to own more so the overall vision. And then you would own project management, And you would get to decide what tools we got to use. Uh And we were just playing to each other's strengths, ultimately. Yeah.
1: Do you have any other tips for for people who are like in a relationship or just a friendship and they might want to work together?
0: (laughs) My first thought is don't do it, but I mean to be more (laughs) (laughs) helpful. Almost treat it like a prenup, like sit down like a marriage and what happens if this, like I think you have to go through every worst case scenario and yes, I do think you should put it in writing and I've even heard of business partners going to therapy together. So I think if you and oh, I yeah. were in um, in business together on a more official level outside of you like editing the podcast, uh-huh. maybe there is a, uh, I was going to say occupational therapist, that's totally different, but we <laughs> would go like to a, someone who could help us through that communication barrier Mm -hmm. or a leadership coach, essentially. And I also think that's where it might be helpful to have odd numbers. So maybe there is like we have a third party, but then that might also get tricky too, where it's like, I can't believe, you know, person C took Jordan's side and not mine, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's a Mm -hmm. whole nother thing to unpack, but keeping it fair Go through the worst case scenarios, put everything in writing, and really ask yourself, if I lost this friendship, would I think it was all worth it? Because I think that is a gamble you're taking.
1: Yeah. So let's let's go to number four. Most people want to throw money at a problem, not actually fix a problem.
0: Oh, this just goes for life, too. <laughs> you're probably like, uh, is this about <laughs> our home decor <laughs> buying?
1: <laughs> uh, well,
0: <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I know I felt this way a lot when working on diversity issues and feeling like people are so quick to put resources behind optics, but God forbid they actually rebuild the infrastructure and treat the actual problem. We always want to throw money at symptoms, and it doesn't make sense. Why the fuck are you going to put a big band aid on a broken levee? Like, rebuild that shit, re engineer that shit. And Mm -hmm. that made me mad because it's like the amount by the time we're done putting money, resources and energy towards the band aid, we could have like repurposed the bandage. We could have healed the wound. And I know that comes Mm -hmm. up a lot for you in your industry with greenwashing. Like, how do you feel about that?
1: On the one hand, I think it's a positive thing that doing things in a sustainable way and building resilience for the future is like cool now yeah those are at least words that aren't a huge turnoff whereas they used to be but that also brings problems i guess it's the same thing with like anything in the well it's first it was diversity then it was diversity and inclusion now <laughs> uh and then justice and equity are the the new add-ons and with that you know is the difficult thing that's like oftentimes just marketing language yeah and even worse than that sometimes it's like being self diluted that you're doing something that has more value than you than it actually has you know what concerns me is sometimes when I see responses to problems that are like applying a new coat of paint when you really need a new foundation exactly and yeah it's obviously a lot more work and it's a lot of headaches and you might even need like outside help to do that mm-hmm. and it and it is certainly not going to look good in the quarterly earnings cycle but you're talking about setting up for the future for right. like not just for the future but like for a better future
0: and it also just feels much more scalable to and like you said it is a as I learned from one of my clients a pitta a pain in the ass in the moment <laughs> <laughs> such a great acronym, which I yeah had it sooner but yeah it's frustrating in the moment and it's going to be frustrating probably for the first year or several because you mm-hmm. you also have to clean up the shit that you had been putting off for years but isn't it better oh, yeah. to just figure it out now? It's almost like, I mean, I had to figure out b- bookkeeping for my business. Is it a headache? Hell yeah. Is it all? Yeah, but I'd rather figure it out now while I'm making mm-hmm. X gross income versus by the grace of God, I hope I'm like tripling my income. Yeah. So, all
1: right. Uh, number five you will always regret the passive aggressive email, always. <laughs>
0: My job. I have nothing to add to that. Really, mm-hmm. I've never gotten even in the moments when it feels satisfying. Either the repercussions were never worth mm-hmm. what I did, or I truly feel like an asshole afterwards, or I just cringe on it years later. And if nothing else, and this is completely self-serving, I need that person to to, to like introduce me to someone, or I've like burned a mm-hmm. bridge, and I'm like, oof, that was not worth it, but. I've gotten a lot better at stopping myself. I've had enough crappy bullshit moments that I regret. And now I do the like 24 hour or, or uh-huh. it's so old school. But I think if this email was uh, printed on the front of the newspaper the or New I don't York know, <laughs> or maybe the, the front of Instagram. <laughs> so what <would laughs> I want this to be turned into like an inspirational Instagram quote. And if the answer is no, I I try to sit on it and then figure out a much more mature way to get my same point across, but do it in a mature fashion. But you are the more calm, cool, collected one out of the two of us. Is this something you've ever even had to uh, grow, mature in? I have not had
1: too many difficult coworkers. But also,
0: you're very direct at work. Like you don't. And I don't, I mean, we could blame this on like who, like nature versus nurture, but I also don't think you feel the pressure to sugarcoat things.
1: I really try to tailor it to who I'm talking with. Um, I'm not afraid to give direct feedback, but I, I do make an effort to not have it come off as just like pointlessly critical. Right. What I was going to say was that I think a good rule of thumb is like, ask yourself, what is the response I hope? (laughs) <laughs> to get from this. And like if you if you if you come up with a good answer from your passive aggressive email. Like I don't really know what the intended response is. I like well, but you're probably not gonna get it the
0: intended infliction because you're like oh they hurt people hurt people so you've yeah. pissed me off so i'm gonna write something really snarky back to you mm-hmm. and i'm gonna make you question all your life decisions but that's like so rarely what's gonna well happen.
1: i think sometimes the the hope is that they see that they were being mean and that you being kind of passive aggressive about it will like open up their eyes but Probably the more likely thing to do that is like a very kindly worded email.
0: Yeah. Kill them with kindness.
1: (laughs) Just don't kill them. (laughs) Uh, But if you want to, do it with kindness. Number six, promotions are popularity contests and awards are pleas to get A players to stay.
0: Oh, I know exactly what I was thinking of when I wrote this. Okay, y'all want some straight up tea? Jordan, are you ready to steep this tea?
1: Spill the tea.
0: All right. Clean up on aisle seven.
1: Pour (laughs) the (laughs) tea. Strain, steep the tea. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I did, we had to do like an end of year award thing for a, a past employer and no joke. First of all, the, that shit is like half rigged anyway. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it was because we knew someone was interviewing elsewhere. So we thought, oh, let's just give them this really nice award and we'll butter them up and we'll keep them longer. Did it work? No, I mean, I mean it worked for like another quarter and then they ended up leaving. But it was a way to get people to sh- shut up and smile. And then I think most of us know that Promotions are popularity contests, and I'm someone who has been promoted, and I do know mm. that extroverts have it easier at work. Actually, yeah. I want to get your opinion on that because I'm someone who's – I've been able to literally profit off of being extroverted or at least having really high social skills. Yeah, And I do know that I had it a lot easier than some people on my team who were likely smarter, savvier – more hardworking, but Mm -hmm. they didn't understand how to like ask someone how their weekend Mm -hmm. was. And they didn't really know. They were playing checkers, not chess in a way. So how do you feel about that? Being someone who isn't going out of their way to go to every happy hour and sugarcoat things?
1: No, I mean, it's obviously not fair. Like I think, I think companies should have a very transparent process for when raises are considered and um, mm-hmm. kind of, like, what you can expect. And it would be awesome if raises and promotions were, like, done on a schedule that, like, everybody understood and could
0: And they are supposed form to be. expectations. I think yeah. where it gets a little bit hairy is you'll have these scales, but then the scales are bullshit. Like, I remember... Hmm. I am my manager. And again, I benefited from this. He gave everyone like so four was the highest you could give. He gave everyone fours every now and again, he gave out a three. Mm -hmm. But I knew another manager on a different team who only gave out twos and would give Mm -hmm. out threes rarely. And then he would give out one for a year like he didn't believe in just handing out threes and fours. So on paper, I was getting my raise because it looked like I was exceeding expectations whereas someone on a different team was absolutely meeting and exceeding expectations, but this person just came from a more militant background and was much more conservative with the numerical system. And we would even give out, hey, this is what a one means, a two, a three, a four, but at the end of the day, perception is reality. So there's still a dimension in which performance reviews aren't fair even when you try very very hard to make them transparent
1: all right number seven on our list is don't make work your identity
0: i think it'd be interesting to kind of let you riff here for a little bit because you met me back when i was still working in social media we met in april 2016 and you saw me not only switch industries a few times but work at different employers you saw me like, or you've seen me lose myself after being mm-hmm. laid off. Walk me through what it was like to see your partner's self-worth live on a sliding scale based off of their work performance.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, first of all, work for a lot of people is going to be at least part of the, a big part of their lives and a part that, of their lives that will give value and purpose. Like it can be, um, it doesn't have to be enough. A lot of people aren't lucky enough for that to be the case, but it's okay if like you get some excitement from the work that you do. and But the danger is if you get too invested in like how things are going at work, there's just a lot of things you can't control and a lot of like bullshit mm-hmm. that you have to deal with and a lot of personalities. And, and we've talked already about like all the things that you didn't realize were like popularity contests and so on. And so it's just out of your hands in a lot of ways. And so like with you or with anybody who's really, overly wrapped up in their work with you at that time right not not now um but it would be like something great would happen at work and you were like on top of the world Mm -hmm. and that was awesome and it was like great to be around you and like (laughs) you know we would go celebrate or whatever and the flip side is like also when things are going bad at work then that's also your whole world and like it kind of didn't matter what else was going on that it you just felt like crappy and like all this extra work I've been doing doesn't even matter. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important, you know, to to do our best to live a well-rounded life and life has more dimensions to it than the professional stuff. Yeah. And uh, you know, I'd like our particular part of the world to um, have work make up a smaller piece of that pie, obviously, but yeah, there's a, there's certainly a danger in these kinds of jobs where like you're doing your passion in air quotes. And to
0: kind of go back to what we were speaking about at the beginning, with like your daddy issues show up, and you know, all of your childhood trauma is projected into the work you do or how you handle work. So I could answer the question, why did I make work my identity for such a long season of life? And I'm, and I know remnants of it are still a part of my life today. And I can really look at how, you know, success was treated growing up, you got good, or excuse me, if you got good grades and you got straight A's, you were rewarded. If Mm -hmm. you, if my mom was able to brag on me at her next social event, I was a good kid, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So it follows you. So I can kind of point and show you where I went quote unquote wrong, where there were cracks in my foundation. So where did you whether it's quote unquote going right or where were you able to cultivate the kind of self-assurance so that you didn't need a job or a title or um, a salary number to define who you were and how you saw yourself.
1: You're asking that m- me personally? Um,
0: Yeah. I'm, I mean, at least not- when I knew you, you never were like, you just, you had such a healthier relationship with
1: work. Hmm. Uh I'm I'm not sure I'm as good at this as you as you think, but part of it was like just finding things outside of work that made me really happy and really content and um developing habits and leisure activities. I guess that were not expensive for one like mm-hmm. a lot of the things I used to do are free or really cheap. Yeah. Um and they're things I can do for the rest of my life and like just keep enjoying and I'm interested in a lot of things that don't always have to do with my work. And so sometimes I get home and I'm just looking forward to doing something else. And I <laughs> try to make friends so that they're also a part of my life.
0: It sounds like you created an identity literally outside of work. Yeah, I, I guess I never
1: like I'm having trouble coming up with the answer just because no, like, I, I don't spend a lot think, of time thinking about it.
0: Because it does come naturally to you. But that also makes a lot of sense. I'm someone and we've talked about this. Mm -hmm. I made all of my friends at work, which is why I worked a lot harder after I left the ad agency to have friends from different walks Mm -hmm. of life and join different organizations because I felt – it was almost like a divorce when I left a company. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't take Uh the kids with me where we have, like, (laughs) visitation. And you are so great at finding friends at Trader Joe's and Mm -hmm. the coffee shop. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that you're very – I don't even think you're intentional because I just think this is inherently who you are, but you – I don't think there's a switch for you. I think I go on and off, and so when I go to the coffee shop, I'm very pleasant, of course, to everyone around me, but I don't think I'm as open-minded thinking, oh, this person might be interesting to talk to. Like you met a guy who is a civil engineer this morning at the coffee shop, and I'm like – it's my I arch probably, nemesis in the
1: field of yeah. <laughs> urban planning, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I'm just like I probably wouldn't have even started a conversation with the person behind me.
1: Well, I think it's um, also maybe like a temperament thing as much as anything, because like I never was really jealous of like the person at like a hot shot like job. <laughs> I would be more interested in like the life that person was living, right? Mm-hmm. And so like when I after college I went and taught English in Spain and like (laughs) I was leading a pretty low ambition life I guess you could have said because I was teaching English four days a week and then I had long weekends and I traveled and just hung out but that was like awesome to me I felt like I was living a full life and um I remember a friend of mine when I was there she was like looking at all of her like former classmates from college and they're doing all these like impressive things like their resume looked really impressive and I was like I mean, I, I don't know. I think, <laughs> I think you're doing the cool thing um, by having like a, you know, enjoyable life. Yeah. So
0: there's something there about holistic wellness and maybe not categorizing or compartmentalizing mm-hmm. our lives so much and, and adding metrics to it. But there's definitely a fluidity to your life of I, I think you live a very vibrant life. And some people like people would look at your life and see a lot of routine, but there's a lot of vibrancy there because you are able to fully focus on whatever it is you're doing.
1: I also think that one of the things I've always thought about is like trying to reverse engineer like a life that you want. So like you might want a certain job, but then the life that that gives you is like, well, you're working 80 hour weeks mm-hmm. and you have to be in the car another 20 <laughs> hours. Yeah. <laughs> And like that's just not I don't, I don't care how cool the job is it's, it's for me that's like not a it's not a good endpoint so
0: well that goes back to when I had to do the four hour work week challenge for the financial diet and it was after the Tim Ferris book and long story short if you were to break down. Like the the person who makes 100K a year, but they work 100 mm-hmm. hours, they make X amount. And then the person who makes 60K a year who works, mm-hmm. I don't know, like 20 hours a week. Really, that person is, quote unquote, more rich. But mm-hmm. also, they probably are having a more fulfilling life.
1: Yeah. I also want to say, like, this is not something that probably somebody working at, like, pick your, like, bullshit job. Mm-hmm. Probably not something that a lot of people struggle with. Probably a lot of people want it to be less of their life just, like time-wise,
0: yeah, word. but
1: are in no danger of making it their like, identity. Um, okay, we should move on. Uh, number eight is people will get away with stealing your ideas.
0: <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I'm not even going to be bashful about this. I won't say the company because, you know, defamation. But I was working, this is back when I was working in social media, and technically, I do know we signed... <laughs> Uh so like an NDA or like an agreement about if you come up with an idea, it is technically the company's intellectual property, which I Uh totally understand. But the fact that they straight up used it, and I think they even pitched it for a Super Bowl commercial and it just later ended up being their spring campaign. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like, you know, you could have you could float a girl a text, you could float a girl a check because you built a whole campaign around my idea right before I left. Um but Then I, someone else, my manager just got all the credit for it. And I want to be clear in case she, she ever can connect dots and listen to this. I learned a lot from her and I do think overall she was a good manager. But if she had any flaws, it was the minute you started to outshine her, she was like, don't forget who's queen bee in this bitch So, just know people will steal your ideas so put that shit in writing all of the time and truly I think I just had to come to grips with that shit is gonna happen and you can't which kind of goes back to why you can't derive a lot of your self worth from work because I remember feeling so crummy when I saw it air and I saw the script and realized and seeing directed by and I'm like motherfucker but <laughs> um and and I think I would still be pissed today but knowing that you have to stick tr- stay true to your mission understand you are going to meet people who will backstab you remember that was a hard thing for me to learn I like yeah. I've come home crying to you so many times because I'm like oh my god like <laughs> it's almost funny now but I remember crying to you and the lights were out and I was like people Just, they don't do things because it's the right thing to do. And really realizing Mm -hmm. that having empathy is not inherent among everyone you meet. And I know I had to learn for so many people, work is a place where relationships are transactional. And that isn't how I operate or move. And that was really hard for me to navigate that to other people you help you are a vehicle to get from point a to point b Mm -hmm. so
1: and i think it also taught you like there's always there's always lessons for the future from there not just that like oh the world sucks and is unfair and people are shitty sometimes but also also like if you're ever to like a point where you can have you know your own organization (laughs) now you know what it feels like to have that happen to you and so you're going to be on the lookout and Ultimately, oh, well, I if you it need in. to manage when people. When I was people
0: managing at yeah. the tech startup, I was very clear to say like this was so and so's idea and I would even Yeah,
1: that costs nothing.
0: Yeah, it costs nothing. Well, and I would even pull that person. I remember we had a meeting with the CPO and I was someone's manager. I'll call her K. I don't think she'd care if I said her name, but I'll call her K. And I was like, "Hey, to the cpo is it okay if Kay presents this to you because at the end of the day it was her idea and she's like yeah that's a great idea and then she got face-to-face time i'm still her manager so guess what (laughs) yeah i'm still still gonna get that shine like y'all need to realize there's enough shine to go around um Uh but even if there wasn't just are you that like you can't be so threatened that you're not gonna help other people or not let other people get their moment when they can
1: Yeah, that's a miserable way to operate. Uh, Let's move on to number nine. Being fired doesn't mean you're a swear word incoming. Fuck up. (laughs) Just like a breakup doesn't mean you're unlovable.
0: Yeah, you've seen me get fired and think my life was destined to nothing and and crumbs, but Mm -hmm. I actually just did a happy hour with, a career coach, Catalina, and I'll, I'll put her stuff in the show notes. And it was just like a getting to know you. And she and I both have been fired, and she's been fired three times, let go once. And we were both saying that is probably one of the things all entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs, have in common. And sometimes you are gonna get fired because people are jealous of you, because people think you occupy too much space. Or sometimes it's a simple, it's not a fit and it's okay that it's not a fit. Like you and I could never do the same job because we have two totally different sets of strengths, but that doesn't make me or you any less valuable to a company. We just have different value adds. And I didn't Mm -hmm. understand that for a very long time. And even when I was at that tech startup, I wasn't fired, but I remember being way more successful in two other roles and then the role I was in towards the end, I wasn't, successful in it and I harbored a lot of resentment and self-hatred because I saw myself failing and Mm -hmm. that wasn't healthy for a lot of reasons but I also was telling myself a narrative that wasn't true
1: yeah yeah there's a lot of reasons you could get fired sometimes it's just like a dumb thing right? Like they're jealous of you or whatever. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's just, yeah, it's like okay to get feedback like that. Like if you consider it a failure, like actually sometimes failure is okay. And it teaches us Mm -hmm. about ourselves and it maybe teaches us like what we're not. Yeah. Like you're saying, not a good fit or maybe it can be a break that you really needed. And it's hard to see it from immediate circumstances, but it tells you like, okay, well clearly that wasn't like natural for me. So let me try something a little bit different.
0: Mm And you don't want to be any place that doesn't serve you. Easier said than done. But Mm -hmm. in the end, I can truly look back at every place that I've left for one reason or another. And at best, I felt I fulfilled my purpose during that time. And at the worst, I just got, uh, I was put out of my own misery.
1: Uh Yeah. Yeah, I just want to reiterate that being fired is really shitty. (laughs) Really (laughs) shitty, especially because we don't have like a very good social safety net, but also not the end of the world.
0: Yeah. Oh, and if you're fired, um, make sure that you understand your rights. So if you're full-time, make sure that you're getting all of your unused PTO. You should be paid out for that. You should also look at your benefits. Um, Please talk to an HR professional and see what your options are with unemployment. So just had to put that in there.
1: (laughs) Speaking of HR... uh... (laughs) <laughs> oh god. And potentially um contradicting your previous statement. <laughs> uh let's get to number 10. HR is not your friend. I repeat, HR is not your friend.
0: Listen, and this I learned this lesson when I was in HR and because you know I was working at the tech startup and I was a quasi HR manager in the interim while we got our shit together and once we hired some true HR professionals with tenure and and much more experience, one of them took me aside and she literally said, you are too passionate about people. We are not here to be people's friends, therapists, or advocates. We are here to protect the company. And if you really want to be successful in this industry, you should realize that now. And it's like that weird moment of thanks. Thanks for the honesty. Truly, I appreciate it. Um, you know, it was a little bit like finding out Santa Claus isn't real. But yes, it is something that everyone needs to know. And whether or not you agree with that, because I have some HR friends who totally stand by that statement and think it should be that way. And then you have friend people like me and, you know, my best friend who um, Ellen, Ellen won't care if I'm like, Ellen's one of the good ones if you work with Ellen. Um, but it's. Then you have the the good guys, so to speak, who were like, wait, that seems completely counterintuitive to have that mindset, but it's an important lesson to learn. So just know nothing is truly off the record. And that is truly like there are very good reasons that things can't be completely off the record. Things are not completely off the record. Things can impact you and come up later. People Mm -hmm. do not have tight lips. I'm telling you, we always joke. It's the legal, finance, and HR team, all the biggest alcoholics, all the biggest (laughs) partiers, and the biggest shit talkers sometimes. So um, just be careful with what you tell HR and understand that at the end of the day, the company's bottom line is their top priority. And Mm -hmm. even if you get to work with one of the good ones like me or Ellen, We still understand that principle. So when we are operating, we have to remember that our bosses need to know about the bottom line. And then we try to squeeze in our, um, you know, our little passion projects like DEI initiatives in the meantime.
1: All right. Just think about the term human resources. Right. There's like all these different resources that go into making your product or getting your service out the door. And the humans are a part of that. So, OK, well, we got to make sure, like, cover our ass on the human front. Yeah. Like it is good to for people to realize that they are at the service of the of the company and the ownership and not the right, not the employees.
0: And and again, you may disagree with that philosophy. You may totally agree with it. But nonetheless, just remember if you need someone to talk to, have a support system uh-huh. in your personal life that you can go to, and if you are fortunate enough to have someone you can trust at work, then, and if anything, your manager, if you have a good relationship with your manager, is more likely to watch your back than HR, yeah. and know that HR really is there, though, to answer all of your nitty-gritty questions about internal transfers, career trajectory, um, compensation plans. Mm-hmm. Like, if you are worried about, yo, what's my next move? Not only should you be talking to your manager, that is a great time to talk to HR because it is their responsibility to explain things to you. Yeah. But
1: Yeah. Like you said, this is more like a discussion of like structurally, that's what HR is there for. But obviously, like, it's like a department that draws a lot of like more sociable mm-hmm. types. So yeah. it's probably peopled with a lot of good individuals.
0: Oh, absolutely but yeah but those are my um those are my, my my nuggets any more nuggets Jordan
1: um you should unionize your job <laughs> that's an option for you
0: should I unionize my job as a solo entrepreneur
1: I think if you uh, are gonna add people to it you should pursue like a worker ownership model
0: nice I like it
1: because I think we should have democratic say so at our work
0: I like it well, thank you so much for joining me, Jordan. It was nice to take a, a humid stroll down memory lane.
1: <laughs> Did you say a humid stroll? Yes,
0: yeah, so it's very humid out.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: And career stuff usually brings up feelings of sweat and perspiration. So,
1: <laughs> Well, uh, you're welcome. And this has been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Well, while we have you, um, you know, you, you you're this mystery character. You have your own fan base. Some people are big, big fans of Jordan. They love when you make a good Instagram story cameo. Anything you want to say to your people, your fans?
1: Uh, What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Love (laughs) you.
0: That is Jordan David Clark, the machine.
1: Not my nickname.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. I would absolutely love it if you left comments or slid into my DMs telling me what are the lessons you had to learn the hard way? And which ones did I learn that you had to learn? And if you <laughs> liked today's episode, please make sure that you are following Office Politics on Instagram and leave us a review or five-star rating or four-star rating. You know, we, we appreciate candor.
1: And share an episode with your friends. That's usually what I ask people to do on my shows. Mm,
0: okay. Yes, please share with your friends. Not HR just your friend
1: (laughs) share with hr too you can be friends with hr people
0: yeah
1: as a matter of fact it's like probably some of the best people to make friends with
0: all right well i love you for being on and i love you in general and um let's go for a walk
1: (laughs) all right i love you for being you
0: okay bye